That is probably the most solid piece of gold that's been on this podcast so far because, I mean, how many people either, one, aren't listening anymore yeah. or two, like, hate you now because yeah. you said that, right? But it's the truth. But it's reality, right? Exactly. Like- What up, guys? This is Mind versus Muscle. You're listening to Cody Boom Boom here, and I got my man Theo the Great Bambooey with me. <laughs> Epic shit. I like that one. Epic, man. Uh, and you know what? That actually brings me to my first question. This is what I was going to ask you because it got me. It, I'm about to watch this movie now. Like, what was your? Because that's from the Sandlot, yeah. obviously. You know, um, the Great Bambino. But what's your favorite? Like, I'm actually movie? surprised that you have seen that movie and that you know about it. Really? Why? Yeah. Because I feel like that's not something that you would watch. Like, you're totally... Yo, that's a great movie. That's like... <laughs> I was Benny the Jet last Halloween, You were man. not Benny... Oh, okay. Yeah. Halloween. I, I, that yeah, makes sense. <laughs> no, I was... Uh, that's one holiday where anybody can just be know, whatever they want. So that makes a lot of sense. You were make, fast. I'm, I'm going ma- <laughs> to make fun of myself on this one. I was uh, the, the redhead chubby kid. He played catcher. Fuck. What was his name? And to add to that, I was a catcher. Like I, in baseball. You actually played baseball? Yeah. Actually, yeah, I didn't know yeah. that about you. I got to like right. minor A, I think. Minor A? So I was like fourth grade and got out of that. No, nah, like fifth, sixth. I don't know. Is that even a thing? Minor A? I think you just made that up. I don't up. know, man. I was, I the, I was really the Colorado Rockies. Now. I was the Colorado Rockies. All right. Because you know how they give you like the teams? Maybe like double A, triple A, but minor A? I thought it was minor. I think triple A is like when you're actually doing something and you're in like high school. And stuff. Anyways, let's get on with it. All right, so no one needs to talk Yo, about hey, what's your favorite baseball movie? career. What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Like childhood movie when you're growing up. Childhood movie. Yeah, okay, so that, before that makes a like, difference. Like 13 and under. Um, 13, Lion King. For real? Yeah. Off top. Yeah. Oh. Guaranteed. Um, Guaranteed. He's <laughs> confident. Rafiki, man. He was, he was like, dude, he like changed my life. Dude, a baboon and yeah, yeah. Hey, he's he wisdom. was dope. Yeah, yeah it's like your, super your funny. Dog looks like a baboon. He whooped ass. Yeah, he's you a know, beast. he's a monster. Man, I gotta go. I with idolized. That. I idolized him more than Michael Jordan at one point. <laughs> you got a poster of him on your wall, Rafiki. Rafiki. I actually got a tattoo on the bottom of my foot. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I hope not. No, that's your nickname on the next podcast. Uh, yeah, you dude, I'm gonna go with it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, man. Teenage Mutant Ninja the, the like the real ones the or real the, one. the like real ones? Back in the day. When they went to uh, Japan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The original. The, the scepter you know I mean? and all yeah. that. I and the one where movie. they came to the city. That was dope too. And they had the hockey guy with yeah. them. Yeah. Like I love those movies. But all right, man. So we're going to get on with the podcast. Let's, uh, we're going to start with the training question. So we're going to go through a couple questions that we, we get pretty frequently we chose three um if we're going to get through all three we don't know because we might elaborate pretty deeply on them but these are things that we get all the time and i'm going to start with this one because i feel like we could we're known for this and like helping with this and we can probably go on and on so um how to get a bigger butt we get ladies uh, a lot of times and actually this goes both ways because we get ladies a lot of times that want to look or have a bigger butt, um, but we also get guys that actually need more glutes as well because they have low back issues, hip issues, they're not strong, or if they're an athlete and they're not powerful, like a lot of that is generated from the glutes. Um, so I think, obviously, glute work is just super important. Um, so I'm going to let you kick it off because you were on a roll. I had to stop you before we turned these things on. So like, what's your like go-to? Like, What would you tell somebody if they come to you and that's, that's what your client is telling you, I want a bigger butt? What's well, your first step? Honestly, it, it depends on the person. So 
hip thrust is like my favorite exercise. I agree. I know that uh, a lot of people don't like them because of you know what they do to your hips, or you know it it hurts at first. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like doing back squats. Like nobody right. likes back squats right. at first until they really start getting used to it. But um, that's what I find, especially you know with my own personal training. Uh, and then when you know I get feedback from clients, is like what do you feel in this exercise? And that's always a question that I ask. And I ask myself too, um, is, you know, they always say, Oh, I feel my, I feel my ass, right? right? It's on fire right now. How can I not feel it? Yeah. So that's kind of like, that is my number one exercise. Depends though. Some people have low back issues when, uh, when they do perform, uh, the hip thrust, if you know, they're, they're in, you know, uh, lumbar extension, their lower back is just, it's just cranking. So it, it, it just depends. But that would have to be if I had to choose one. That would be uh, the exercise that I pick. It's, and it again, like it goes back to um, as far as like you know, putting on mass or, or even just you know, if you're if you're activating the muscle, if you're just looking for it, it, it works that way as well. Yeah. So it depends on the load, depends on the sets and reps. Right. But, I was to say that volume is a big key with right. that, obviously, and that goes for every muscle. But um, but I think that's what's funny is a lot of people look at a squat, they look at a bench or a curl or all these things that we want to build muscle. And they, they think smartly about it and they want to add volume, periodize their program and everything. But a lot of people don't do that for hip thrust, right? So I find a lot, if I periodize my uh, undulated throughout the week where I'm doing, you know, 12 reps at the beginning of the week, then I'm dropping out a six with a pause at the top for more strength base. And then I'm going like 15 to 20 at the end of the week. That undulating periodization has like great results on like growing a butt. But what I would do is actually go back and, and like you said, you ask people how they feel doing the hip thrust. I think that's a big key because I'll get some people that actually start feeling it in their hamstrings a yep. lot in their low back. And that tells me one, like you said, lumbar extension, anterior pelvic tilt. Um, but then we have to look at assessing the issue, right? So if they do have that issue, how can we help um, put them in a better position, teach them how to pull their rib cage down, tilt their hip forward more, more posteriorly um, to get them into that glute activation. And that's actually why I like frog pumps a lot lately. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what frog pumps are, go check out, uh, like he said, Brett Contreras. He has a ton of glute work. I mean, he's, I think, what do they call him? The glute guy? Yeah. Like, yeah. So or the like, butt guy, the glute yeah. guy. Yeah. His he's, gym, a, he's a monster. Dude, his gym is called the glute lab. Have you seen that? No. It's crazy. He has his own little gym at his house now. It's like a garage. And he Actually, does he hashtag that on, uh, yeah, on social like, media? It, okay. He, he has shirts now and stuff. Okay. Like girls will, like I see like Instagram models tagging like where they're lifting and it says the glute lab. And then I saw him tagged it and I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. So he's doing it for their butts out yeah. there. Like, so if, yeah, if you guys don't follow him or I think his website is brettcontreras.com, yeah. he writes a ton of articles and, and that's actually what kicked off this whole talk was that, uh, I read an article of his, um, on glute training and he kind of busted some myths, um, yeah. you know, as far as the, the exercises that, um, that do get the most activation or muscle recruitment from your glutes. And a lot of people you you see on social media are talking about uh, squat for a butt or this is why squat and and all this. And it's super hyped up and there's really not an incredible amount of glute activation in the squat. Right. So, definitely go check that stuff out and, and, and there's different ways to go about this stuff. And he does a lot of body weight stuff as well. Single leg glute bridges, uh, and, and light resistance stuff as far as like band works, pause reps. So right. including all of that stuff and all of those tools into uh, your training is going to be is going to be huge. Right. And, and looking at different ways to uh, incorporate that stuff. Right. right. So not just 
tossing it in and saying, oh, well, this because it activates your glutes. I right. mean, you, you really got to look at it from a movement yeah. standpoint as well as, you know, what are you including? In and your, I, in and I think like going back to that, like people need this is why like having a coach is so important, because one, like you said, they're going to program it the right way. But also, like if you look and this is not me saying that squats are not good for a butt, because this is the power of an assessment. Right. Um, so for instance, like the guy that runs our gym, Luca Josefar, he has really long femurs. So when he squats, he's really hip dominant and he actually sits really far back. Therefore he's going to get a bigger stretch in his glutes. Yeah. Whereas I don't have long femurs. So I'm a quad dominant squatter. When I do squats, I feel my quads like crazy. I don't really feel my glutes. Right. So you got to look at that for one thing. You know, some people have such long femurs like Lane Norton is a guy like this. It almost looks like he's doing a fucking good morning. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he's going to have a glute dominant squat. Then you got to look at are, is your depth. Uh, enough right so I, I read a study and they were doing uh different depths of a squat to see if like glute activation quad activation what was greater if you're not breaking parallel on a squat then you're really not hitting your glutes that much and i think the issue there is people are like oh i just gotta squat deeper well if you load up a squat and squat deep and you can't squat well then you're just gonna hurt yourself trying to grow back right um and i think that's like why it's so powerful uh, and why we probably use uh hip thrusters so much because we can't throw a bar on everybody's back that right. we see and expect that they'll do an astrograph squat perfectly you know what i'm saying or so, front squat for that matter yeah i mean it, which is typically a better and that's exactly why i do that right i did front squats today because i just i every time i back squat i end up trying to go too low and i hurt my back and yeah. it's just one of those things where for me, it's an ego thing. I know it because I get in the gym and I'm like, I'm determined to squat lower. <laughs> yeah. And then I just fuck myself yeah. up. It's just so I, I'm, I'm sure that a ton of people listening to this can relate to that. Yeah. One. Two, kind of explain, or, or I'll go into it a little bit, is, is why you shouldn't just going to squatting deeper, right? Which is hip mobility. A yeah. lot of people do not have it. So if, you're, if you do not have the hip mobility and you're constantly feeling... Uh, your lower back flare up during uh, doing squats or performing the squat, reduce the range of motion, work within the range of motion that you have and, and, and own that movement. Because the, you know, if you keep doing that, then you know, it's, it's going to lead to disaster yeah. right at the end of the day. And, and, and other things are going to pop up from that as well. Right. Not just your lower back. So I like doing uh, like, I've been having a lot of people do this too. a couple things to improve the squat on top of hip mobility. Cause everybody comes in the gym and I have them running through that. So I don't have to do anything. You know, they just know to do that. Um, two things I've been having people do is start with a, like a really, really light goblet squat yeah. and sit in the hole. So we do our hip thrust. We do our glute activation at the beginning. And that's like the big thing guys. Like, if you really want a bigger butt, let's say you're strength training three or four days a week, the first exercise you do should be glute activation. Whether it's band abductions, whether it's hip thrust, uh, different variations of hip thrust, it doesn't matter. You should be firing the glutes because a lot of times, like we said before, your glutes aren't going to fire in the lunge, in the squat, in the deadlift because – not because it's not a good exercise, but it's because how you are moving through that exercise. So if we get the glutes to fire before we go to those, it's more likely that we're going to build those glutes when we do it. Um, so I have them start with that, obviously, but then I have them do uh, like a 18 pound kettlebell and just sit in the hole. So they squat as deep as they can and they just create tension. Yep. And we're doing like three reps at a time, but they're just ripping the floor, opening up the hips and everything like that. And then we'll go into uh, the rest of the exercises. And then the second thing I have them do is uh, either... I don't usually use the glute ham raise because a lot of people can't rep those out. It's a difficult uh, exercise. Um, so that or uh, Swiss ball hamstring curls. And activating those hamstrings is actually going to loosen up your knees and actually let you drop lower. So like I did it, for example, I did five sets of 10 um, 
hamstring curls and shin boxes today before I squatted. And I swear to God, I was getting the lowest front squats at a pretty, I was doing 205 for like six to eight and I was getting ass to grass, like surprisingly low. And I stole that tip from Jason Frugia, but, um, but great tip if you want to squat lower. So, um, to like rephrase back on what we're saying here, I think the big key is, is don't listen to the hype because you should be doing lunges. You should be doing split squats. You should be doing yeah, all that stuff. Those are basic movements yeah. that you should not ignore. Yeah. And it's just not the end be all end all. So number one is always going to be hip thrust. What's your number two exercise for the glutes? I'm a big fan of seated hip abductions, yeah. um, both for activation and as a finisher. Yeah. Um, so as far as like activation, um, you know, I'll have, I'll have someone sitting on a box or on a bench, uh, get, uh, get a band around the top of their knees. And all they got to do is just open up, open up their knees pretty much as, as, as much as they can pause for about two seconds and they can slowly control back right. in, um, and, and get that eccentric effect. And, and again, go about two to three seconds, but just go about like 10 reps and do like two sets. So not doing anything like, you know, three or four sets and, um, you know, it shouldn't be extremely difficult. Uh, but before you get into your main lift, lift, that's good. Yeah. Um, as far as finishers, which is one of my all time finishers, uh, I have a lot of butt finishers, but, um, you go feel the butt finisher <laughs> buoy. <laughs> uh, uh, not th- that's good. what happens when you're bored and you're just on your laptop. Man, you, yeah. I just study butt exercises. That's what I do. So, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, you can go like slight lean forward, go like 15 reps, um, sit straight up another 15 reps and then uh, seated back a little bit, chest more up towards the ceiling, another 15 reps, uh, take about a 60-second break, and then do that for a couple sets. So I got, I actually got that one from from Brett Contreras as well. I tried that out. I, I felt like, I was like, man, am I really going to do this? I think the gym was pretty much full. Like I was training while other people yeah. were training. And I started doing this. Uh, I started doing this finisher, and I was like, "Wow, I probably look super pathetic <laughs> right now." But in like screaming at the end yeah. of it, and just in like agonizing pain. Um, and but it, I mean, it worked. I yeah. mean, like my glutes were on fire, and all I used was this. Was so I think this that's a great band. one for activation before exercise. So like for people out there listening, if you're if you're a trainer, this is the power of asking your client what they are feeling, right? Because we know that you should be feeling your glutes when you do a hip thrust or your deadlift or whatever, but they don't. And a lot of times they will not speak up. So it's important to ask them like, Hey, what are you feeling right now? If they're not feeling their glutes, throwing these things in before the exercises is gold. Um, and then for people out there, don't be afraid to ask your coach. You know what I mean? Ask somebody or look up like what muscle group should I be feeling here? Because when you do a good morning, for instance, you should feel your glutes. You should feel a huge stretch in your glutes when you sit back into it. And you should squeeze your butt at the top of that to make sure that you're firing the glutes throughout the movement. Right. But if you don't ask or look for that and you're just cranking through the movements, one, you're going to get hurt. But two, you're not going to activate the right muscles. Well, I also think that some people, uh, a lot of people will perform these exercises, not feel their glutes at all, but still think that, you know, they're doing glute training, right? right? Yeah. Which is, I mean, if you're not feeling that, right, there's, there's probably an issue there, right? And and you probably got what's called sleepy butt. I was just about to say, bro, have you heard of sleepy butt? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, but like, it's a real thing. You know what? Like, I think that's actually my most common issue with people is like, I have ladies that come to me, they're like, hey, I want a butt, I want a butt, and that's the issue. I'm like, it's not that you're you're not doing the wrong things. You're just, you're doing the right things wrong, I guess you could right. say, right? You're not firing, and it could be a neuromuscular thing, right? You're, you're just not recruiting the, the pattern that we need to signal to get your glutes to fire. Um, and that's one thing I, I want to go back to the frog pumps is like, uh, when you 
put your so a frog pump is a glute bridge or you can do it in a hip thrust uh and you put your the soles of your feet together so your knees are pointed out almost like a diamond if, if that doesn't make sense to you look it up right now because this one is good because it almost forces you in out of that anterior tilt and that lumbar extension so for people who can't get a good hip thrust without feeling their hamstrings or low back fire. I think this is golden. And, and like one thing I've read a lot on it is usually it's one or the other, right? Like a hip thrust is your go-to or a frog pump. So I have certain clients that do a lot of frog pumps and I have a certain clients that do a lot of hip thrust. And the reason is, is because of the way their hip structure is. So, and this is like going back to the assessment, man. I feel like a lot of times people want to grow something and they just do, and it's just like a chest, right? Um, actually you had this issue, right? At the beginning you were like, constantly benching and you benched a shit ton of weight but your chest wasn't getting the the blunt right. force of it you right. know what i mean your shoulders were taken over right. and i think that's the same thing with the glute like if you don't put yourself in the right position you're not going to build that muscle properly and, and i think that's that's my biggest right. takeaway um so my number one is obviously hip thrust too i think my number two is probably uh i've been liking the the hip abduction uh sled pull oh yeah. so so keeping that isometric rip apart and i got this one from uh Ben Bruno, that dude's a beast. And you pull the sled backwards while you're ripping the band apart. And I think that's golden because it's just constant tension, um, which is an important factor. Um, time under tension, metabolic damage, like for building muscle. And I think that, you know, to, to really let people know how to address that exercise as well, um, start with a light resistance band because if you give somebody – uh, a heavy resistance on that exercise, their knees can tend to, to collapse in right. a little bit. So if you're not able to rip it, rip, uh, rip that band out and, and keep your knees about shoulder width apart, then there could be a hip issue um, yeah. later down the line. So make sure that, you know, your, your knees don't collapse in with that one as well. And, and just to give you guys even some more extra, like when you're squatting, when you're deadlifting, if you find that your knees do collapse, putting a light band around your knees is actually a really good idea. Um, while you squat because the applied resistance of the band trying to pull your knees together will naturally force your knees apart so if you find yourself buckling a lot you're just asking for an injury and you have an instability in, in somewhere in your in your lower body so if you can get that band it's going to help you out a lot you know what i think we're going to have to i think we're going to have to create uh, a program based off of this stuff like because a booty program yeah i think that you know because i mean we could create a lot of programs but especially for this one, this is like the biggest, uh, target I think for most people, uh, even guys, or it should be anyway. Um, but there's, there's a, a ton of different ways to address it, but like at, adding in fillers. So instead yeah. of, uh, putting a band around your knees while you're doing a, a heavy squat, which could potentially be, da be dangerous, do an activation exercise, um, you know, at or before right. or after that, um, that set in order to, to prep yourself for that next set. Um, but again, just to prevent, just to help prevent injury. Yeah. So. And you know what? Like, it's funny because like, for instance, on a inverted row or a push up, your glutes should be firing like crazy because if you're not squeezing your butt and driving your hips into full extension, your low back is going to sink down or it's going to, your hips are going to fall down if you're doing an inverted row. And the point being, you're not going to be in that straight plank, right? So if you don't have core and glute strength in all your movements, then – and so that's like kind of targeted towards the guys because girls are more than happy to constantly fire their glutes. Yeah. I feel like guys try to <laughs> avoid it. And, man, like I can't tell you how many times girls have told me they like guys with a nice butt. Like guys are afraid. And on top of that, like I know for me personally, I, I was so much more explosive when I started training my glutes because – 
all that power from driving to the floor on a jump, on a sprint or everything, a lot of it is generated through your glutes. Yeah, biggest muscle in your body. Yeah, so I think everybody really needs to focus on that. And, and it's funny how much glute work we actually do as guys at the gym too, and it's surprising the most. I think motivation for most people or most guys watching the, or listening to this podcast is we need to do a poll on Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Snapchat. <laughs> Ladies, yeah. you can even plug in. You can send it to us. Yeah. Um, what what body part on a guy do you want to see the most developed, yeah. right? And I guarantee that most women are going to say... I think a butt would be in there. But a nice butt. That's, see, that's the thing. I think, like, so there's... Men's Health did this. Men's Fitness did this. They all did these polls, right? And they're all different. And so, like, I wonder if they're, like, doing it to sell, like, what they're trying to pitch or whatever. Different, yeah. I think, different market, different target markets, I think, for those people. I'll give my top three. I think, uh, like, what I think women want. I think arms is definitely there. Um, I you fucking you do bicep curls like religiously. I, so. I periodize them, bro, three days a week. <laughs> but I mean, I I, tr I truly think that's it. Though. Yeah. Because like, if you think about like a guy wearing a shirt, a tank top, no shirt, no matter what, you're gonna see their arms. If he's wearing a long sleeve, you're gonna see the shit. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's a big one. I would say shoulders probably because that gives a guy like a broad, yeah. manly look. Yeah. I don't, and then the last one I wouldn't know. It might be glutes or I don't, abs. Abs, actually, abs, yeah, it's abs, abs is a big first. one. Probably yeah. more than shoulders. Yeah, that's probably actually number one. Definitely, um, hair. Probably hair. Comb over. Let's hope so. <laughs> I'm rooting not, for it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna answer the poll like eight, eighty times <laughs> to get that number up. Uh, so I think that pretty much breaks down. Uh, I mean. In a sense, okay, so let's answer this question. I'll answer it real quick, and then you can answer yours real quick, and then we'll move on. How do you get a bigger butt? In my opinion, three steps. Make sure you're activating it. Uh, make sure you're doing some kind of bridge or thrust movement, and then periodize it so you're doing it multiple times a week because frequency and volume is key. Strength, hypertrophy, endurance. So – Again, like I'm not going to give any specific exercises. I already gave the hip thrust. But the reason I say that is build your build your strength, right? I mean, you build mass or you want to put mass on any part of your body. You got to be able to move you weight. You got to be able to move weight. Uh, and then you got to be able to move a pretty decent amount of weight for uh, for higher rep count, right? Yeah. So to build, that, to build that muscle, to build the size. You got to build the strength. And endurance or metabolic work, um, yeah. you know, like sleds and stuff like that to help. Right. To help really burn fat. Yeah. And that and, goes to that metabolic damage and time right. and attention. And, and we talked earlier before we even got on the mics um, about, you know, these squat ch squat challenges. What was it? Instagram. Instagram. So there was like a, it was like a 20 second. Can you explain what it was? It was like a monthly challenge. Each right. Each day you do, like start with 15, then 20. And so you add five each day? Five, then maybe it jumps to 10. Right. And okay. So start right. with maybe 15. By the end of the month, you're doing 200. And then, and then these Instagram stars are like blowing it up, right? Yeah. Like hashtagging it and shooting videos and getting people moving, which is awesome. Soccer mom Susie's breaking her back. But, <laughs> but, squat but the point is, right, is like people see that and say, oh, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to get a, a nice butt, which I mean, you got to understand one that these girls are probably genetic freaks, mm -hmm. right? And their nutrition might be on point, whatever. Either way, like when they do this, right, like they're, they probably already have the shape underneath, right? So yeah. what they do is they, they help burn that fat and boom, right? Yeah. I mean, it looks like magic when they post it on but Glutes on can be genetic too. There's right. a lot of women out there that have really big butts that are really fit, like you're saying. 
that just like their butt isn't muscle. It's right. They do flat. two lunges and yeah, it's like they just got a fat booty because yeah. that's what her mom gave her. Yeah. Like, and I am not hating on that, but it's just like <laughs> you should you shouldn't look up to that and assume that doing lunges and squats is going to get you that mm-hmm. right. And I think that's the miss. So I like I, like what you said. I think I think what you're trying to get at is don't follow the hype. Right. Right. And stick to the basics. And like what he was saying, strength, hypertrophy, endurance. Like that's what I was saying about. Uh, periodizing it right so i really do believe that the best way to get a glute bigger glutes is train it three to four days a week and you should start with the six to eight rep range then go to the 10 to 12 and then go to the 15 to 20 one day and i think you'll be great mind versus booty program yeah that's definitely definitely coming 12 weeks future um so i got another question i think is dope it's a kind of an opposite topic so this works good um i got a long emails about this today actually so i'm going to summarize it but um essentially what she was saying is her friend did Whole30. If you don't know what Whole30 is, it's it's a diet plan that is kind of like paleo. I mean, it is a type of paleo. Essentially, you do 30 days and you eliminate a ton of foods, right? So you can't eat grains. You can't have processed stuff. You can't have um, dairy, all, all the paleo style stuff, right? So you do that for 30 days and it's a challenge. So she did the Whole30 and she lost a ton of weight. I actually think she lost about 20 pounds or so, right? And, and I might have been reading it wrong but she either lost 20 pounds or she did it twice in a row and like lost 20 plus or something like that but the point is she did it had great results but now she's like in this scarcity of like i can't get away from this diet or i'll lose my results because she has to keep doing this right in order to keep those results is what's going through her head so she's kind of scared and then so she asked like is that true and then how do i set a new body fat set point like i got this weight off i'm happy but i want to eat a different way how do i make sure that i don't like regain all this weight. Um, and for me, I think like, like first things first, I just want to get this out there for everybody. There's the body fat set point theory is pretty, there's not a lot of studies on it. So it's really out there of whether we can change that or not, but usually people have a range right now. If you become obese and you go from your, your body type weight should be about 180, but you gain weight and get 300 pounds, your body fat set point isn't 300 pounds. Cause your body's not comfortable at that. But we usually all have a range of like five to 10 pounds where we're comfortable. Like I know for me, 170 to 175 is like my comfort range. If I get to 175, if I try to gain more weight, it's really hard to push that. I can like eat a buffet and it'll it'll literally, and then a few days later, it'll come right back down. And the vice versa, I can diet my ass off and it'll be like hell trying to, yeah, 169 is like the toughest thing to get below, right? So um, there's always that range. But the best thing to do to reset that is to break that and then maintain it, right? So what that means is let's say you're dieting and you cut 10 pounds and that took you two months. The smartest thing you could possibly do, because remember, dieting is a stress on the body. It's a stress on the nervous system. Your body doesn't like losing fat, doesn't like losing weight. That's, That's like against survival mode. So once you lose that 10 pounds, you need to like sit at your weight even if you want to lose more you have to sit at that weight be happy with it and maintain it and that means bumping your calories up a little bit eating a little more food not gaining any weight but being happy with where you're at and staying there for at least one to two maybe even three months because that's enough time for your metabolism to adjust and your body to be become more comfortable with that weight that is Uh, probably the most solid piece of gold that's been on this podcast so far because i mean how many people either one aren't listening anymore yeah. or two like hate you now because yeah. you said that right but it's the but truth but it's reality right exactly. like, and that's what i hate man is uh is people are afraid to hear what they want to hear right and they'll and i think this is funny because i'll get questions and 
they don't want the answer. They want uh, what what they want is me to reject, like justify what they think is right, right? So to them, it's like they want me to say, "Hey, you just gotta fight through it, grind through it. It's tough, hustle, like do the whole thirty again," because right. that's you know what I mean. And that's not the answer, right? So, um, really, really, really solid advice. I think the best thing to do in her situation, okay, she's doing whole thirty. I think the smartest thing would be to track her calories, right? Because with Whole30, there's no tracking. There's no calories. It's just like don't eat these foods and just eat these foods. So before you start not eating those foods anymore, see how many calories you're eating uh, per day because then you can go, okay, I'm eating 1,800 calories. Now I'm going to allow myself to have dairy, have bread, have whatever you want that paleo doesn't allow, but you can stay at that calorie range and then know that, okay, I'm going to try to bump it 50 to 100 calories a week for a couple weeks and keep my weight the same, right? Um Long story short, I don't think you have to stick with Whole30 to keep that. You're never going to just gain your weight back unless you just start eating aimlessly, right? Um, and that's the key. And, and that, I mean, shit, that reminds me of girls like trying not to get bulky. They're like, I don't want to get bulky. I said, like, well, don't eat so much. Like, that's literally the answer. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say on that, but the, the long story short is you have to maintain a weight for at least probably two to three months, I would say. And I can't prove that by studies, but that's like the best guess right now from other scientists, not from me, but like what I've been reading on how you can reset your your body fat set point. Yeah. I mean, that's I already gave my two cents pretty much. And I'm very I mean, you know me, like when it comes to nutrition is like simplicity is bliss. For yeah. Me. You know what I mean? So like the the less that we can complicate things and understand the reality of the situation and how the human body operates like the more knowledge and education that you have about yourself, your body type, it, it I mean, it's going to be a game changer because then your mindset's going to be in the right place as right. well. When you start going there and you, you, you take your mindset to that, that place of reality, then your, your transformation um, or, or where you want to take your body, whatever you want to call it is going to, is going to be, uh, what do I want to say? Sustainable. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're not going to be juggling and, and looking for, you know, get the shiny object syndrome, keep it simple, understand what your body needs and move from that point. And I think like a lot of people forget, like I, I personally believe that personality type has everything to do with this. I know I'm kind of analytical with training and nutrition. I like having a written program that I follow to the T. I like percentages. I know what I can adjust. I like tracking my macros that makes like things easier for me. And some people are like that, but for some other people that makes it way harder, right? So I have a great example of a client uh, that actually sent me a picture of the scale this morning and she broke the 130 and she's lost 20 pounds with me and she's not a heavy, heavy person. Um, but she was like, I want to lean out. So she's literally just been slowly inching like half a pound a week, but just consistently and hasn't tracked a macro once because at the very beginning we talked about that and she told me that she's like, I just don't think that fits my lifestyle. And I didn't push it on her. I was like, you know what? You're probably not that personality type. I get it. There's no reason for that. Like let's work on just portion control, eating the right foods, like trying to stick to it. And she goes and has fun a couple times a week and eats whatever the hell she wants. Cause she's a foodie, but she knows she doesn't have to binge on it. Right. So some people track macros and it, and it bites them in the ass and then they end up going overboard and it just kills them. Right. And then other people, it, it allows them to portion control because they have the number system, which is how I am. Right. So I think it just depends. And that goes back to the mindset, like what's your personality type and don't be like own up to that. Be realistic with it. Like you said, because I think a lot of people see that I get results with macros. So they think they need to do macros or they saw my one client that got results with macros and they got to do macros. You know what I'm saying? And you should have, you should figure out what works for you and what works for your lifestyle. That's sustainable. Like at the end of the day.
Boom. All right, so um, I think we got time for one more. I just want to talk about fasting real quick, man. I feel like I get questions about fasting all the time. I've done fasting multiple ways. I think there's pros about it. I think there's cons about it. Um, and I, I just want to kind of dive into that just to tell people a little bit more because a lot of people think it's like the be-all, end-all, right? They, oh, I'm going to start fasting 16 hours a day or I'm going to do a 24-hour fast. And there's there's so many claims out there about how great it is for right. – and that's what humans are supposed to do. And that's right. really how we evolved. And well, and I get and that. that, but guess what? We got really good at like preserving our food, and now we ha- we can save it for the right. morning and eat breakfast. <laughs> so, and, and, and that is that's the not refrigerator, yeah, right? <laughs> it, we outsmarted the whole fasting thing, guys. We're not cavemen anymore. And and I think like fasting's okay if it fits your lifestyle. And some people aren't hungry in the morning. That's okay, but. I just don't like what's going on. And and I listen and read from people that are really into fasting, and they claim that it has these benefits that are like unbelievable, like God sent, right? Like from growth hormone to testosterone to insulin sensitivity, blood sugar levels. And it does have effects on those, but not to the extent that they're saying. And I think there's pros and cons to it. So um, I'll let you start because you did fasting from a completely different standpoint yep. than I did. Yeah. Because you were on a gain. Yeah. So for, I think I was at 190 at the time when I started and I got, to, I think I gained two pounds and about 12 weeks super hard yeah starting by the way because when i before before uh i was fasting i was eating everything uh all day i think every like two two and a half hours i was eating food and then to go to a fast i think i jumped right into a 16 hour fast okay, so you were doing the daily i was doing the daily uh the daily fast um and i just i don't know i just felt found that it was like super difficult for like the first two weeks yeah it took me yeah and it was hard to to really um stay consistent with it um you know i drank a lot more water but i would say that i and me being a lean person just naturally lean i would say that i was looking more lean yeah uh when i was when i was fasting um but it just really it didn't really fit my lifestyle like i i just found out or i just found like myself kind of just really like stressing about it constantly right and um i i I just didn't like it It wasn't it didn't fit me um it's not what i was used to um but it's funny because i say that and then once i started going back to you know maybe eating in the morning i had to force myself to eat right and like i'm like a huge pancake and like you know what i mean like protein like protein shake in the morning like super shake by the way like thousand calorie shake and like it messed with me because I was like, man, like my appetite, like yeah. in the morning now, you know, cause I would eat at like, uh, eight 30, nine o'clock. And I'd just be like, man, like I can't finish my food. And like, right. I'm literally powering this down to Everything get it just in. Everything takes so much adjustment. It, exactly. Anything you switch. And even now to this day, I mean, if I eat before like 11 o'clock, I just really don't have that much of an appetite right. unless like I get up early in the morning, which I'm doing now and in, in training. So that's, that's helped. But uh, yeah, before that, I mean, it really messed with my schedule. Um, and, but I will say overall, um, you know, I, I did feel like I, I became more lean and yeah. I added about two pounds. So I think like the, the takeaway from there and I actually, I mean, I, you know, me, I've, I've dug into tons of studies on everything. So like what I believe the reason you got leaner and I think, and this is why I, I do a fast on Sundays and I'll do like a modified fast where I might drink like a zero fat, zero carb protein shake or BCAs in the morning on Sunday, but just not really eat all day until I feel hungry. 
but I just do it that one day. And, and the reason being is because this is where the insulin sensitivity thing comes in and you improved your insulin sensitivity when doing that. So when you ate a big carb meal at night, you absorbed that shit yeah. properly. Yeah. Right. So when you do that, you wake up and all that carbs, all that glucose goes to two places, the muscle and uh, like the bloodstream, right? right? Your veins are popping out. You look lean, you look mm -hmm. vascular. So you're not like storing it as body fat. And I think that's a good thing. But so they found all these studies that showed uh, they did carb timing and they were trying to test like what's better if somebody eats uh, carbs throughout the day or if they eat them all the majority of their carbs in like one serving around their workout. And the people lost more weight doing uh, more carbs in one serving around their workout. And it was at night in a fasting setting. But they found out later that it had nothing to do with the time of day. It wasn't nighttime eating or the carb night solution. It was the fact that the majority of their carbs came at one time because right. it created a better uh, pattern of insulin throughout the day. So their insulin levels weren't sh skyrocketing all day. And so you absorb the carbs better, right? It was Instead consistent. Of exactly. So um, – so essentially what I've been having clients do now is almost like a modified fast, right? Like in, and this doesn't apply to people who are trying to gain, right? Um, like for me right now, I'm actually spreading my carbs out because I need to eat more and I'm trying to get bigger. It's different. Like for you, obviously you're going to always want to do that. Um, but for clients and fat loss, what I've been doing is, is protein and fats throughout the day and then just carbs around the workout because they'll, they'll absorb it better. Their insulin sensitivity will be better. They'll get a lot of the benefits from fasting, not all, but a lot of them without having to do that every day, right? And I think that's the biggest benefit, right? If you do a fast, well, guess what? Your calories are going to be lower because a lot of people still aren't able to eat a massive meal at night, which I never had that problem. I fast, I'm like, oh, I get double the calories at night, cool. But a lot of people won't do that, so they end up cutting a few hundred calories out of their diet. They lose weight, and they're like, oh, fasting is like the magic pill. No, you're just eating less. So, so let's talk about this now because – I think there's a there's a huge uh, misconception, right, about you know how much protein that you should get in with each meal. I mean, you hear people say, right. "Oh, you shouldn't overdo it on the protein," or you know, you can only absorb uh, 50 grams of protein at a time, um, yeah. at, at a time um, or you're or you're just gonna pee out the rest, or um, you know. So talk about that a little bit as far as you know fasting goes, because I think that a lot of people are going, "Okay, well, you know, I've also heard that I should be eating." Uh, X amount of protein uh, per pound uh, yeah, yeah. that you know that I weigh, and so how am I going to get that in? And this is actually why I don't prefer fasting. Um, whether you're trying to build muscle or lose fat, I think muscle protein synthesis is a big key factor because if you're trying to lose weight, well, guess what? If you have more muscle on your body, you're going to lose weight. You're also going to be able to perform better. And guess what happens when you perform better? you lose more weight because yep. you can burn more calories. So um, having a, a muscle protein synthesis signal throughout the body throughout the day is a lot more beneficial for building muscle. So let's say you're fasting and you don't eat all day and then you have a couple meals and you have like 30, 40 grams. Great. That's a great signal. And then you have 100 grams at night because you're trying to catch up on yep. all that. The issue there is not necessarily that you can't digest 50 more grams or more, but the cap out they found actually they used to think it was 25 to 30 but now it's bumping up they, they just did another study it's about 40 grams that's as much of a pro like once you tap out at that uh 40 grams that's your muscle protein synthesis signal you're not going to go above that by eating more so they've actually done studies and and what happens is you actually don't really store any of it as fat like 99.9 percent .9 of protein will get stored as fat you'll either a piss it out as nitrate or you'll use it for your immune system your liver function a lot of the systems in the body can actually use protein and that's what people don't understand so you're not wasting it but it's not going to go all to muscle 
So you're better off spreading it out throughout the day. So yeah. if you can wake up, have protein, then four or five hours later, have another serving of protein, four or five hours later, have another serving of protein. That's why I, I always suggest four to five meals a day. It's not overdoing it, but it's probably the perfect balance. Um, that doesn't mean you can't do three meals a day, but if you're fasting, you're taking out one bolus of protein and, and that's, it will have negative effects essentially. Now, if you're obese, I think it's a little bit different story. You have plenty of stored energy where you're not going to have to worry about it as much. And that's when I think fasting can come in handy because if you wake up and you're not hungry anyway, you might as well cut three to 500 calories by not eating breakfast. Does that make sense? Yep. I think that's like the big key. And that's why I, I stopped personally fasting. Uh, but I think that wraps it up for today. Unless you got anything more, man. That's it. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time on Mind versus Muscle. Peace out.